Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful privilege to gather together as family in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you for the Word of God as you've inspired it, of course. Thank you for giving us the ability to lean on it in every way and trust in it in every way, for there's power in it in every way. Father, thank you for delivering us from ourselves and from our enemies in this world. Thank you for delivering us from a place where we were hopeless and helpless. Thank you for sending your Son in our stead. Father, we pray for those that desire to be here with us as members of this congregation, but for reasons you know best cannot be. We just pray that they understand our hearts towards them and that we miss them and that we'd like to see them back. And Of course, your will be done. We pray also, Father, for those that are lost in this world, that are unsaved, that have no hope, no real hope, that may have even placed their hope and faith in objects other than your word and your truth. We just pray for the opportunity even to evangelize them before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt, to make a morning like this even a reality. We do just ask for blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why the apostles so encouraging by grace they were prepared, part 64. We've been on the last bullet of our working framework. Um, again, the encouragement we've been receiving from Scripture is that uh, the apostles themselves were just ordinary people, nothing extraordinary, if you would, or extraordinary about these individuals. Uh, and in fact, because of that, we're able to relate to them on a very personal level and uh, be encouraged. And that's why they're so encouraging, uh, at least at face value, and as we've been learning in so many different ways. And the last uh, way that we've been sort of discovering in our efforts has been regarding power. So we're going to continue to develop this idea of power along with some other key points that the Spirit's been bringing out over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so with that said, the past few weeks really have been a lot about power. And power is something I think we all have to consider, um, not just at face value, but the power sources themselves that man uh, entangles himself with or uh, considers powerful enough to deliver himself. So we've been doing a lot of work on this idea of power, um, particularly the power of the Word of God, seeing that it is described as omnipotent, which is all-powerful in the Bible. And as believers, it is proclaimed by Jesus himself that we are born again. If we're talking about power, think about the power to be born again. That's something that Jesus said himself. Go to John 3, 1. John 3, verse 1. So speaking about the power of the word, 
And think about it this way, that God willed it so and saved you because God saves. We don't save ourselves. John 3, 1. So Jesus Christ, who is the Word, is in view. John 3, 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, before we move on, just step back and consider the perspective of Nicodemus. So, presumably Nicodemus is not saved at this point. So, where would he be coming from? He's speaking with the Messiah. So, consider his point of reference as an unbeliever. But he's interested and he's got some things right in his soul, which is probably why he's being drawn at this point. Consider the perspective of Nicodemus, who undoubtedly was still rationalizing through the lens of human rationalism, which by default considers human power the source of all power. So he was using this lens. With that viewpoint, it's easy to see why he struggled with the words of Jesus. Of course that doesn't make sense to a person who's rational, who's using human power to... Um, look at the world, to look at the things even of God, to su uh, consider supernatural phenomenon. So by default, the human lens is um, that human power comes or is the source of all power. So again, it's easy to see why he struggled with the words of Jesus. But to we believers, we understand exactly what Jesus was saying. We understand exactly what he meant when he said, you must be born again. It's the same reason, now think about this, think about the dynamic in that conversation that was going on between the contemporary of Jesus, the contemporary religious zealot. Remember the Pharisees were among the most zealous of all religious people. And this religious person who's actually unsaved is having a conversation with the Messiah. So just consider that. Consider the, um, I don't want to say the contraposition, but the position between religion and the word. Because that's really what was in view. If you elevate your thinking, it was religion approaching the word of God. We have that today. So we believers understand exactly what Jesus was saying, but if we step back and apply it to our own lives, it's the same reason why you'll often hear folks in this geographic location say, oh, they're one of those born-again believer types. Have you ever been hit with that? I have. Religious people, oh, you're one of them born-again believer types, aren't you? But this, these are Christians saying this to, to me. Oh, you're one of those born-again believer types. Yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> Aren't you? <laughs> and it's said in a derisive way. In other words, a derogatory way. Almost mockingly. Oh, you're one of them. 
Why? Because the power of the Word to sanctify, the way it does, through the cross of Jesus Christ, is foolishness to the unsaved. The whole idea of being born again is foolishness. It doesn't register, you understand? And think about what's going on in this scene. It's the same scene that's replayed when someone says, oh, you're one of those born-again people. Did not Nicodemus consider himself a religious man, a man of God? Do not religious people in this area who are still unsaved consider themselves men and women of God, religious? Yeah. But yet they mockingly say, oh, you're one of them born-again people. That doesn't make sense. Why? Because for starters, as Christ said himself, the cross, as Paul wrote, the cross is foolishness to the unsaved. Again, look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is how Nicodemus says, this is what he responds, said to him, How can a man, now think of his lens, how can a man be born when he is old? Well, is that not human rationalism on full display? Yeah. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? That's the failure of human power to rationalize supernatural truth. That's what's being shown here. It's why it's recorded in Scripture. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Do you see it? How can these things be? Think of his lens. What was he thinking with? A human lens. Now, this is where things really begin to parallel some of the conversations many of you have had with religious folks in the area. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Just think about the, like I said, the, the, the distinction, the contrast. The word is standing there against religion. And he's saying, You hold yourself up as religious zealots and you don't understand what I'm saying? I think somewhere along the line, my friend, you missed the whole point. You missed the point in your religion. Somehow religion has clouded you to such a degree, you don't even recognize the Messiah that's standing before you. But yet you're the zealot that holds up the idea of a Messiah. And here I am and you don't see me. And you don't get me. Does that not sound like exactly the same conversations many of you have had? You call yourself a Christian. You're a devout Christian, supposedly. And you don't understand what it means to be born again? You don't understand what Jesus Christ had to say about being born again? Truly, truly, you must be born again? And you want to scoff at me? Or others who are actually saved who understand what it means to be born again? This is the thing? So Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, no one works. No one has the power to ascend to heaven. But that's what religious people try to do, right? They say, well, how do I get there? How do I get there? What do I need to do to get that free ticket? What is it that I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. Because then I can be religious about it and make sure I do it faithfully. Because I want to get on a works program. That's what religion is all about. It says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness. That's the craziest thing. DJ and I were talking about this before class. So the light comes in the world, and the phenomenon is that men love darkness rather than the light. So the truth comes on the scene, and people say, no, thank you. I'd rather have my religion. I'd rather be a part of my own power system to propose and suppose that I can work my way into heaven. When Jesus said, You're not, you can't ascend to heaven unless I find a way as God to help you. So this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds, his deeds, his personal power, if you would, will be exposed. In other words, a religious person doesn't want to hear the truth. Do you understand? Because they, they know that they're a fraud. God, deep down, convinces them, you're a fraud. <clears throat> so they say, I don't want to hear this. I can't be a fraud. I'm 70 years old, and I've been a religious zealot for 60 of those 70 years, 65, because I was an altar boy or something ridiculous like that, and I'm still a zealot. So now you're going to tell me at the end of my life that it was all for naught? Yeah. But there's still time. I mean, look at the thief on the cross. There's still time. I think you're looking at this cockeyed. You're so prideful that you won't give up your religion for eternal life. This is what we're getting at? Yeah, this is what it comes down to. People don't want the light because it destroys the very fabric of their existence. Do you follow? That's what this is all about, and this is what Jesus was teaching this man. <clears throat> Verse 20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In other words, there will be a fraud. You're a fraud. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. We love it. That's what we want. We know we're not good without the truth, without the power of God. So we want the light in our lives. Not always. I'm, you know what I'm saying. Your flesh hates it, so you're going to fall to temptation. You're not going to come to church. You're not going to study your Bibles. You're going to do this. You're gonna do, you know how it goes. But overall, a changed individual, they thirst for the light. 
They want truth, even when it hurts, even when it stings, which is why most of you are here. You know when you come here. Right, Chris? You know when you come here. Not just Chris, stop laughing at him, because you're all the same. You know when you come here, something, something from the message is going to hurt. Something is going to sting. If our reputation alone hasn't proved that, you haven't been here long enough. Something is going to sting from the pulpit. You know that, but here you are. Why? Because you thirst for it. You want the truth, whether it stings or it doesn't sting. That's what's important. But you see, an evil person, person that's evil, hates the light, doesn't want the truth. Verse 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That's right. If someone's to boast, they boast in the Lord. Again, the emphasis from the pulpit as of late is regarding the power of the word of God. And that by its power, the heavens and the earth were made. And it upholds the very laws of science. Created every creature ever known to man. Has breathed life into every living thing there ever was. That's the power of the word. And as powerful as it is, it is also powerful enough. If something's that powerful, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we ought to fear it. Not just have a reverence for it. Not just be grateful for it, which we are, but fear it. Fear the God who can cast you into hell. That's the one we're supposed to fear. Not our flesh, not our, the religious retort from these idiots who you've been going to church with for 65 years. Not, th not that power, not human power, real power. Because that power is powerful enough to wipe said life off the face of the planet. Go to 2 Thessalonians 2.8 as an example of that. We ought to fear this power. And it's a healthy fear. It's actually unhealthy not to fear God's power, like so many do. So not only is the word powerful enough to create, as it has in every aspect of life, it's also powerful enough to destroy every aspect of life. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, speaking about the end times, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. That's simple. That's simple. Antichrist, see you later. Bye-bye. Just slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. <laughs> that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That's how powerful the Word of God is. It doesn't just create, it can destroy. And we ought to have a very healthy fear of that kind of power. That, my friends, is real power. And just to think in the, in the most primitive terms, the most primitive terms, the Lord speaks, and so it is. That's how powerful His Word is. If He says it's so, guess what? It's so. That's how primitive His power is. 
There's no finagling, there's no jockeying, there's no manipulating, there's nothing. It's just absolute. So I was thinking about this, and I invite you to reflect with me. Consider how power plays out in your own lives. Just think about power for a moment as a concept. Consider how power plays out in your own lives, or even the lives of others. Just how does power play out in life? Life. To add to that, what are your worst fears, I ask? What are your worst fears? I'd be willing to bet if you look close enough, you'd quickly see that power is the underlying issue, or lack thereof, I should say. The things you're afraid of, power is the underlying issue. I remember some of my worst nightmares, and don't laugh because probably most of you have had this nightmare. I don't know what the deal is. It's got to be something primitive in man. You know, the one where someone is trying to kill me, and I feel like my entire body is running through, like, thick mud. You know that one? They're, like, breathing on you, and you're like, oh, I can't move. You know that one? Everybody's had it. I don't, what's the deal with that dream? It's, like, universal. You know what that represents? Powerlessness. Why am I so afraid? Because I'm powerless to get away. I can't deliver myself from the situation. I am powerless. So there's a direct correlation between a sense of powerlessness and fear. In addition to that, my crippling fear, one of my ongoing crippling fears, is when the time comes to protect myself or those whom I love, that I'll be powerless to do so. That's a horrible fear. So try a little experiment today as a challenge from me to you. Ponder the things that you are most afraid of. I mean the ones that are visceral, the ones that like really unnerve you. Ponder those things today, the things you're most afraid of. And I'm not just talking about dreams. I bet if you dig deep enough, they are based on powerlessness or one of its close cousins, powerlessness. Things like losing loved ones when there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's a sense of powerlessness. Aren't you afraid of that? You don't want to lose loved ones, necessarily. Or your inability to make someone else love you the way you want to be loved. Or your inability to pay your bills. Or... Raise your kids in a way that they don't run wild and hurt themselves and or others. Do you see the common underlying thread here? It's powerlessness. Powerlessness breeds fear. Powerlessness breeds fear. And so this is why the power of the word is so fundamental to quelling our own fears. Because the things I just listed, if you approach them with human power, you're going to be in fear your whole life. But if you hand it over to God and say God has the power to enact and fix or deliver any of us from anything, because all things are possible with Him, then all of a sudden that's all gone. I don't have any more fear. There's no sense of powerlessness because it's no longer dependent on my power. So I don't fear. You see?
That's what it means to cast all your anxieties on Him who cares for you. Because He has the power to deliver you. And by the way, if you, don't, if you haven't figured out the logic yet, if He leaves you in a situation, then you must need to be there. For whatever reasons. You need to be strength trained or you needed to be proven for the hundredth time. Hey, dummy, the thing you're doing, the choices you're making, it don't work. It's not what I want for you. So I'm going to leave you there this time. I hear your prayer, but I'm kind of scoffing right now, as you know, wisdom books would say. I'm kind of, wisdom's kind of laughing at you because you're lacking it and you didn't pursue it. And these choices you keep making, they're getting ridiculous. And the only way you're going to learn your lesson is when you get shocked or burnt. And you're going to moan and groan about how it's everybody else's fault and how they're always, everybody's after you and nobody understands and it's this kind of garbage. And God's going, you're like number 600 trillion, 352 billion, 942 million, 684,111th person. Today! I'm just kidding. It can't be today. There's not that many people. Throughout human history, that said this to me. Just a side note. If he says, I'm not going to take that thing away from you, you must need it. And you learn to recognize that. That you make bad decisions, and sometimes he has to leave you there. Parents, listen up. Sometimes your kids are going to make bad decisions, and you have to leave them there. No way. Yeah. Let them learn how to walk on their own. Let them learn how to make their own mistakes. And that even goes with the spiritual life. You can't, I mean, if, the, if, the, if your kid is 40 years old, you can't be calling them up every day. Hey, do you uh, believe yet? You can't be calling them every day. You can't haunt them. You have to let them go and say, God will take care of it doesn't mean you can't evangelize them. doesn't mean if they're already saved, supposedly, that you can't remind them, hey, you know, I'm just saying, some of the decisions you've been making, not so good. Back to business. Fear or powerlessness breeds fear. And this is why the power of the word is so fundamental to quelling our own fears. It's because nothing is impossible with God. When you learn to stop using human power and you give it to God, your fear goes because you're no longer responsible. You're no longer burdened with the power to deliver you or somebody else that you love from that situation. But with God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible with Him. We noted on this on Thursday up here on the board, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is a catchphrase, right? I can do all things. I feel like, you know, Richard Simmons, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> Not really. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get you to giggle a little bit. Right? It sounds all like, you know, cheerleadery. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And like sing a song. And, but nobody believes it. Seriously, everybody loves the idea, but nobody actually believes it. You know why? Because they don't, they're still out there trying to deliver themselves with their own power. And they're anxious and miserable and, and you know, 
drinking their misery away and doing stupid stuff to get their misery, uh, supplanting things so that they don't have to think about their own ridiculousness. You know what that says? You don't have faith. You don't believe Philippians 4.13. You like the idea of it, but you don't actually believe it. You like the idea of an all-powerful God, but you don't actually listen to him or hand things over to him. So how do we have such, but we do, um, increasingly so, as we grow up, as we mature in Christ. So how do we have such confidence in our abilities as believers in Christ, in every aspect of life? Well, as Jesus alluded to after speaking with the rich young ruler, if God can save you, which is the great miracle in our lives, he can certainly sanctify you save you daily. Go to Matthew 19.23. These are the things that you have to believe. And this is why we keep going back to the gospel, because the gospel is the root system. The gospel is the from faith to faith. It's the from faith part. It's the starting point of the exhibition of his power in your life. That's the starting point. He saved you. It's a miracle. It's a, is that a miracle? It's unbelievable. That's the starting point of the exhibition of his power in your life. So if he can do the greater thing, he certainly can do the lesser. If he can save you from eternal damnation, then he can certainly sanctify you from whatever that piddly problem is that you have. And some of you are like, it's not piddly. It is to God. Do you know, not, you know I'm getting that, right? It's small compared to the big picture. Even if you're dying, that's very small compared to the big picture. Because if you're saved, you're going to go be with the Lord anyway, so you're actually getting promoted. Matthew 19, 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? That's a good question. Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With people... This is impossible because they don't have the power to save themselves, even though they try. But with God, the omnipotent one, all things are possible. God wants to save you. He's going to save you. End of story. He will draw you to himself, and he will save you every single time. You know why? Because he doesn't fail, and he's all-powerful. What Jesus implied in his words, well, what was Jesus implying uh, in his words about salvation itself? Well, frankly, this is what he was implying. Salvation is a miracle. You don't have the power to perform miracles. But salvation in itself is a miracle. Truly, truly, I say to you, you have to be born again. What do you mean? You, you get stuffed back into your mother? What's going on? That's what Nicodemus said, right? You like, go in and come back out? I mean, what's going on? What are we doing here? How does that happen if I'm old? How do I get born again if I'm old? That's human rationalism. But God, with God, all things are possible. Salvation is a miracle. And it reveals the very power of God, which is why Paul wrote what he wrote for our encouragement so many years later. Go to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. This is why Paul wrote what he wrote about the gospel, the start of the exhibition of God's power in your life. And this is why his entire ministry pivoted on 
the essence of these two verses, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. That's stupendously large. Incredibly large. And that is not achievable with human power. And that's why he wrote it that way. On Thursday, I shared a little story that occurred to me recently regarding a Roman Catholic, a so-called Christian. And uh, just for the record, I'm not really, I mean, I am, but I'm not. I'm not interested in bashing other religions, but I'm going to call out the truth against lies. And Roman Catholicism is full of lies. And so I was having this conversation with a Roman Catholic, a so-called Christian. If you were to ask them, they'd say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, I do. But if you dig just this far, they don't know anything about the gospel. Their gospel is completely perverted and false. And if they believe their own dogmas, their own doctrines from the Roman Catholic Church, it's impossible for them to be saved. If that's their gospel, it is impossible for them to be saved. So if you have, if you, I'm saying this honestly in all love and respect for your own privacy and what have you, if you have relatives that are devout Roman Catholics, you need to have a talk with them, like right now, like right now. Because if they believe what the Roman Catholic Church has, and I've read their doctrines, if that's their gospel, it's impossible. If that's all they've ever believed, it's impossible because it's a lie. It's a flat-out lie. Don't believe me? Take the time and go read it for yourself. Thankfully, by the grace of God, this is going to sound strange as heck, but by the grace of God, a lot of Roman Catholics don't know their own doctrines. They're completely like out in left field. Why? Because they don't really care, which is a whole other issue. Probably why they might not be saved either. A lot of them don't even know their own doctrines. Remember I showed you that video about a year ago? Remember that? In like 24, it was like 23 out of 24 people interviewed. They had no idea. The, the, the interviewer said, hey, what do you think? You, are you saved? Are you going to go to heaven? You know, I hope so. What do you mean you hope so? I, I, I hope I'm good enough. Why do you say that? Because I hope I'm good enough. I hope I can measure up. What in the world? What in the world is that all about? What do you mean you hope you measure up? What do you think Christ did on the cross? Oh, he was a good guy. We don't really talk much about Jesus. Oh. We'll get to that. So I had this little story that occurred to me recently regarding a Roman Catholic, a so-called Christian, and the story was that they wholly rejected the content of my last two blogs, titled Part 1 and 2, Oh, Deep Down They Are a Good Person. Really? They rejected it. They, in the complete absence of Holy Scripture, they stated that they believe that God creates every person inherently good. That you come out of the womb inherently good. Which still doesn't make any sense because in their own doctrines, they baptize babies, which doesn't make any sense, for the idea of washing them of their sin. If they came out, per, I don't understand, anyways. It's completely ridiculous, right? But this was their argument. They believe that God creates everybody inherently good. 
including Muslims, Hindus, unbelievers, I guess. I don't know. And it simply is a matter of saying no to Satan like Jesus did. So in other words, they've relegated Jesus to a, what, a nice guy? Someone to, someone's ex, an example for us? This is how you say no to Satan? This is what Jesus was all about? This is why he came down here? So he'd be a good, I mean, he was a good example, the perfect example, but that's why he came? To show you how to say no to Satan? The implications are so far-reaching with this system of thinking that it's no wonder that Roman Catholics are so lost, anxious, and utterly confused about their own salvation status. Ask them. Are you saved? I don't, I hope, what do you mean? It, the, the idea of being saved is foreign. That system of thinking says you're saved when you die, Hopefully. In other words, you're not saved when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not justified in that moment by God. You're trying to justify yourself throughout your life, and hopefully you've justified yourself enough to reach some fictional bar so that at, when you die, you don't have to go to this other place. We'll get to that. The implications are so far-reaching and so heinous that Roman Catholics, if they're following their own religion, are utterly confused about their own salvation status. You see, under Roman Catholicism, justification doesn't happen in a moment, the way Jesus Christ described it as being born again. Under the false gospel, little g, of Roman Catholicism, justification supposedly takes a whole lifetime. That's why they're all worried. Am I good enough? Am I good enough to get into heaven? The answer, obviously, is without Christ, no flipping way. They don't get that, though, because they're not taught that. So just remember also, justification by definition means to be made righteous, especially to the degree, or specifically to the degree that satisfies God's standard of measure, namely himself, a.k.a. perfection. That's what it means to be justified. God imputes Jesus' own righteousness to your account. That's the gospel proper. So you have perfect righteousness to your account. The crazy thing is that Roman Catholicism proposes that some are actually able to justify themselves in time. Hence, being saved and entering heaven upon their physical death. Of course... Most aren't quite religious enough in their system. So Roman Catholicism has manufactured a place called purgatory. Literally, out of thin air. Literally. It's not here, guys. Purgatory is literally manufactured out of thin air. It doesn't even exist. How do we know? Because the Bible doesn't speak of it ever. In fact, it speaks against something as ridiculous as purgatory. As I've taught in the past, once you spin a lie about the gospel, that's the problem. You've got to spin several others in order to hide it. It's like when you tell a lie to your parents when you were a kid. And eventually you end up spinning up what we would call a web of lies, right? Because the parent might come back and go, now what did you say you did on Friday night? Oh yeah, you know, I did this thing. 
really? Who was with you? And you stop making up lies, right? <laughs> oh, Johnny was with me. Johnny's in California, right? So it's like, oh, Johnny was with me. What would you and Johnny do? We went to Denny's. And that was a fictional car ride to, you know, some restaurant, right? Oh, what'd you eat at Denny's? Eggs Benedict, of course. <laughs> what? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, my word. This is what, like web of lies. That's what happens when you mess with the gospel. If you mess with the gospel proper, which is actually very simple, you have to concoct things like purgatory to pad the errors. So eventually you end up spinning a web of lies in an attempt to cover your tracks, maybe even fabricating parts of your story. It's no different with the false gospel of Roman Catholicism. But let me get to my point here. Regarding the power in fear, or fear and power that we just pondered, consider the greatest fear of all, that is to spend eternity in hell. Death itself. People are deadly afraid, no pun intended, of death. Of hell. I mean, who, who actually understands hell and wants to go to hell? That scares the pants off of people. Hell. Where there's Matthew 24, 51, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where their worm does not die, their conscience in other words, and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, 48. Quote, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, Revelation 21, 8, etc., etc., this is not a nice place. Anybody want to go there? No. You don't want your worst enemy to go there. So what if you're on a treadmill? What if you don't understand what true salvation is? What if you think you have to justify yourself and be good enough or else you go there? How's your life going to be lived? You're going to be living in fear. Horrible. Well, man, I really hope I'm good enough because this is going to really be bad. Again, it's no wonder the average Roman Catholic lives in fear of being cast into hell. What's the problem? Easy. It's their false gospel. That's the problem. They're not told the truth. They're lied to by their own church. You understand Catholicism? The church is a surrogate Christ. The church is a surrogate Christ. They say, no, 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 no. The word of God, not infallible. We're infallible. And so is our ridiculous Pope. The church is the infallible source. The church is the all-powerful authority. And they take Christ and they say, you go over there, because now this is no longer infallible. You go over there. This was written by men after all, right? Quote, unquote. You go over there. And Jesus Christ is the word. So put Jesus Christ over there and put the church right here. The church will save you, which is why one of the doctrines is to be saved, you have to be a member of the Catholic Church. Most Catholics probably don't even know that. Who knows if they do or not? They probably don't care. The church itself, with the ridiculous Pope on top, becomes a surrogate Christ, a surrogate Savior. That's why if you talk to most Roman Catholics, they say, are you saved? Well, the church this and the church that. What about Jesus? Yeah, he's a good guy, but Mary, now she's the one. So I got her in a half shell on my front porch or whatever they do next to the orb, right? Mary's the one. No, she's not. Mary's not infallible. Mary was never infallible. 
They'd say I was going to hell. They would say I am going to hell for saying such things, for teaching the truth like that. How dare you speak against Mary? Seriously? You remember at the end of Jesus' life, they said, hey, Jesus, your mother and brother's here. No, 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 no. These are my mothers and brothers and sisters. What's the problem then? False gospel. Again, if a person believes the false gospel of Roman Catholicism as their gospel, they are unsaved. Now, for some, I don't believe that everybody, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying everybody in that church or any other church, just because they're a member of that church or any other church, is absolutely unsaved. Because I believe there are Catholics that are saved. I do believe that. But I would say they have to be ignorant of their own doctrines for that to be true. They'd have to not understand what their own church teaches and not hold to that and not believe that to be true for them to actually be saved. I think that happens. By the grace of God, somehow they, you know, they're like, you know, grandma and granddad and Uncle Jimmy and mommy and daddy, they're all members of this church down the street. I don't, I don't know anything about it. I just go and somehow they get evangelized on the side by the grace of God, but they still go. You know what I'm saying? We see issues like that in Galatians and stuff like that where people were actually saved, but they're still hung up a little bit in religion and tradition and all this stuff. So I do believe that there are Catholics, and you pick it, that are actually saved by the grace of God somehow. But the devout ones that refuse the truth? Impossible. I'm not saying, I didn't say that. Because they don't accept Jesus Christ for what he was and who he said he was and the doctrines that he taught. That's the problem. One of the greatest things about being saved, think about this, to put this in perspective, remember, fear and power. One of the greatest things about being saved is actually knowing where eternity lies. Amen? I'm thinking about Bill right now, right? He's at the end of his rope. He's probably, he's hurting physically, but he's stoked. He gets to go be with the Lord. Are you kidding me? I'm jealous. Not of the pain, but what he, where he's going. Are you kidding me? Go and be home with the Lord, having full confidence you're going to be face-to-face, -face. no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, none of that? Yep. Oh, man. But what if you don't have that? What if you're Bill's age and you're at the end of your rope and you're still unsure if you're saved, if you are good enough? <sighs> Life becomes a problem. Now you're just kind of scared. Instead of being like, this is awesome, I'm getting promoted here shortly, you're afraid. Show me that in the Bible. That's the result of a false gospel. So one of the greatest things about being saved is actually knowing where eternity lies. That is, with the holy God of the universe. But just imagine the Roman Catholic who doesn't know if they're even going to be saved, quote-unquote, because that's what they believe salvation is like at the end of their life or maybe after this fictitious purgatory place where someone prays them out of some ridiculousness. Salvation is some other thought, right? They're hopefully, they're hopefully getting justified so they can be saved. So imagine if you're that who doesn't understand if they're even going to be saved at the end of their life. They live and abide in an utter sense of powerlessness. Or maybe it's more accurate to say that they are 
depending upon their own human power to justify, quote unquote, justify themselves to the degree of godly righteousness. Talk about a recipe for insecurity, anxiety, and despair. Do you really, all right, just, do you really, any one of you want to say with your own human power you can climb your way to heaven? That you are going to be the one to ascend to heaven? Contrary to what Jesus just said. But pretend you never read the Bible so you never understood that he actually said that, which is most Catholics that I know, right? You really want to depend on your own power to be as righteous as God? To be righteous enough? How would you even know where that line is, supposedly? Well, God knows. But do you? Nope. That's why I'm scared. That's why I live in fear and anxiety. And that's why I don't like to talk about the gospel, because it scares me. Because their gospel is junk. Garbage. Meant to keep people in bondage. One of the greatest plays of all time from Satan himself, convinced of it. One of the greatest plays of all time, Roman Catholicism. I'm talking about the way it exists right now. It's flat out evil. And the leader, that Pope guy, he, he's either highly influenced or possessed. That's all I can tell you. But he is flat out evil. Evil. If you don't understand that, you don't know anything about that religion or what it teaches, and you just, what do you call that, uh, turning a blind's eye? Because you have, what, loved ones? I mean, look where we are right now. There'd probably be pitchforks and torches out there if they knew. People don't want to hear this. People don't want to hear this. Why? Because they have loved ones? I don't know. So think about this. A recipe for insecurity, anxiety, and despair. Does that sound like a true believer's life? No. No. Doesn't mean you're not going to have those things percolate up from your flesh. But does that sound the dominant feature of the new creature? Fear, anxiety, and despair? That's the dominant features of, a, of the new creature, of being born again, as Jesus said? I don't think so. I think that's literally the opposite. Here's what the Bible says to a person who has understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed. This is magnificent. Magnificent. This is what I love about the Bible. Go to 1 Peter 1.3. This is what the Bible has to say. I don't want to hear your conjecture about what you think about God or how righteous you think you can be. I don't want to hear that crap. I don't want to hear a gospel that throws out the word and says it's not Oh, it's not uh, infallible, it's fallible. I don't want to hear that garbage. This is what I want to hear. This is where my hope rests. In the truth. In the inspired word of God. God breathed, so says scripture. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, there it is again, to a living hope, that means right now, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected, you ready? By the power of God. You are protected 
by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. That doesn't sound like fear, anxiety, and despair, does it? You have a living hope right now. And if you don't have that living hope, I'm telling you, you have a problem. I'm not talking about you running around, you know, like this. I have such a living hope. And life's so grand. Don't be a phony. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't have that somewhere, the new creature isn't resident in you. The one that emits such things. The one that the Holy Spirit speaks to directly and says, yeah, you've got it. You're an adopted son, adopted daughter. You're in the family. You're victorious. If you're missing that in your life, something's missing, I'm telling you. And you need to dig deeper, and you need to humble yourself. Maybe you need to pray more. I don't know. But stop faking it till you make it. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith. Faith is what? Power. Hope you see how all this is dovetailing together. Doing the best I can as a teacher. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Faith is power. Power to what? Deliver you. What's deliverance? What's salvation mean? Deliverance from here to there. That's what faith does. It delivers you from here to there. Not just at salvation when the gavel comes down. You are justified. But you're saved daily through faith. That's the truth. From faith to faith, Romans 1.17. Romans 1.16, the very power of God for salvation. It's very simple, isn't it? The only reason any of this is complicated is because we have to ferret out the stupid lies that a lot of you are ex-Catholics and what have you. I know this. And, and, and then you went from Catholicism to another ridiculous religion, and now you've been delivered. And so all these things need to be ferreted out. That's how it goes. That's the reason why it's actually complicated, though. Not because the gospel is complicated, but because man has complicated it. And Satan's really good at complicating things. So why? To pull a sheet over your eyes. To pull the wool over your eyes. To deceive. So spend some time today, and I'm almost losing my voice, so I may have to stop early, but whatever. <clears throat> spend some time today comparing the life Comparing the life of the average Roman Catholic with what you know to be true from Holy Scripture. Compare the life of the average Roman Catholic that you know with what you know to be true from Holy Scripture. It's frightening. But I promise you, it'll make you pray all the more for those still lost in such heinous, ungodly religions and by the way, I know I'm picking on Roman Catholicism, but that's not the only one. That's a hard one, though, because if they're not saved and they believe those doctrines, it's really hard to get somebody that's close. You know, the word calls those the lukewarm people. 
God spits them out. The ones that say they're Christians, but they're actually not. In some ways, it's harder to evangelize that person than it is someone who's completely lost. Because they say, no, thank you. I already have my Christian religion. It's hard. And so Roman Catholicism is, I would argue, the biggest problem in religion of all religions, but only because it's the biggest. It's worldwide huge. But there are a lot of other ones that have these same problems that teach false gospels. And like anything uh, counterfeit, it looks a lot like the real thing, doesn't it? They say the right things. Jesus is in there. God's in there. The church is in there. I mean, you know, everything, all the, like the elements are there. All the talking points are there. They're just completely blown out of proportion in some cases, blown out sideways, false doctrines, little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know how it goes. So pray for these people. There's an awful lot of them. And I think the saddest reality of all is that God's desire is that all are saved. I didn't say that. 1 Timothy 2.4. We know what God's desire is. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth. What's the truth? Right here. Jesus Christ, the word. Jesus Christ, the fullness of grace and truth. You want truth? This is it. If you're going to throw it out because you've got some church that said, move aside, Bible. We're the authority. What do you got? Honest to goodness, what are you, you going to rest on? What? God wants you to know this, not what some idiot in a caller says to you. Or six-foot hat. And it's, it's funny, but it's not funny, right? It's funny at face value, but it's grotesque. It's like parading. It's like Satan parading in front of God. Huh? What do you think of these apples? Huh? You don't, you don't think, I mean, you guys are kind of chuckling a little bit. It's grotesque. It's grotesque. He might as well be dragging the bloody corpse of Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong on that. But you know what I'm saying. It's completely grotesque. If this is God's desire, 1 Timothy 2.4, and it is, then it certainly is not his desire to confuse people with false gospels or salvation. That is Satan's ploy. And the human flesh that apprehends it loves it. Why do people, why do people cling on to the uh, false gospel, any of them? Because they want it. Why do you think? It's economics 101 like I've taught for years now. Supply and demand. The human flesh loves a false gospel, actually wants it. Satan knows that, so he plays it. It's not hard math. It's easy, actually. The point the Spirit's making is almost preposterous when you net it all out, if you know Scripture. People who live out these awful lies, living in fear of death even, intrinsically recognizing their own powerlessness to deliver themselves. Get this. You ready? They choose that life. It's like scratching record. Oh, wait a minute, what? They choose that life. How do I know? Because I've talked to a lot of them. And they say, buzz off, born again freak. Bible thumping Jesus freak. Buzz off, I don't want to hear it. I got my religion. 
I'm already on step 89 of 100 on the staircase to heaven, the stairway to heaven. Just listen to Led Zeppelin. No, no, listen to it in reverse. Freddie is the devil. No, Hold, just trying to keep it loose, right? I'm already on step 89. Now you want me to come all the way down? You want to take all the, you spray all the steps with Pam and watch me fall all the way down to the bottom and be wretched and depraved and, yeah. Because then God has something to work with. Because right now, you're just a religious jerk. Like the Pharisees and all the examples we have in the Bible. And you won't listen. The Messiah, the Word is on you. The Word himself is at your doorstep. Through an individual, through a vessel like this one, through a vessel like all of you, the Word is at your doorstep. And you're going, no thanks. No thanks. I'll keep drinking my tea and crumpets and talk about religious things. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? I got Mary in the church. Why are you so insecure then? I'm not insecure. Why are you so insecure? I'm not. Okay. You keep choosing that life. You would think eventually people would figure it out. You think eventually people would figure out they they did I don't know, I guess you don't they don't or something. They do but they don't. They do but they refuse. That's how strong arrogance is. I mean, have you ever done anything? you ever argued ad nauseum with somebody you love just because you don't want to be wrong? Every married person knows this happens. None of you. John, why are you laughing so much? John's like, hee I do it all the time. Right? You, you argue stuff just out of arrogance. You know you're wrong, but you will not give in. Why? Pride. Pride was the first sin. Pride. It's as old as human nature. That's what they do. Why would they listen to a guy like me? Pride. Why would they listen to you? Pride. Because you would be right and they would be wrong. And that's how petty people are. And that's why Jesus Christ himself said, a man is not, a prophet is not without honor except where? In his own hometown. I'll admit that I'm wrong to a stranger, but never you. Never you, because you'll be one up on me. And we've been competing since we were kids. And Mister, I've got my thumb on you, and I think I'm better than you, and I'm richer than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm better looking than you, because I got you know all kinds of fake work done. And I got this, and I'm that, and you know, I, of course, I stole my way to my riches. But who hasn't? Who has it? Why is it? Why everybody get quiet on that one? I don't know. <laughs> Let the spirits judge you. Right. That's what it's about, pride. Why, doesn't, why don't they want it? Here's what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's not trying to confuse anybody. His desire is to see everyone saved and come to the knowledge of what? The truth. Truth is not confusing. Truth is actually very simple. That's God's desire. God is not interested in watching people wallow in their misery. Strictly speaking, sometimes he has to do it. Rather, it is his will that all believe in the true gospel and be set free. But as we've been studying, there are false gospels out there. And like any good counterfeit, they have parts of the true gospel embedded in them. But they are critically flawed. Now, I've got to pick a spot here. I promise. How the gospel gets perverted. A person who doesn't understand salvation proper won't seek the Savior proper. Rather, they will seek a different savior to a different problem statement. The latter is how Satan deceives the world. He proposes a different problem. 
problem's not that you're not powerful enough. The problem is you haven't figured it out yet. The problem is that you can't justify yourself. You just got to figure out how to do it in this 70-year period or whatever, how long you live. That's the problem statement. The problem statement is for you to find out. Because God's a cruel taskmaster, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to get to heaven? See if you can find it. <laughs> and they're scurrying around looking, oh my, where am I getting? Where's the stairs to heaven? Led Zeppelin, you lied, right? Where's the stairway to heaven? Oh my God. Oh, it's in women. Oh, yeah. Oh, they take pit stops. Oh, no, it's in business. Don't pit stop over there. Oh, no, it's in No, it's a pit stop. It sounds like Solomon, right? Ecclesiastes. All these experiments throughout life, they figure out the end. Oh, that was a waste of time. Right? And they start looking like, uh, who's, the, who's the guitarist in the Rolling Stones? No, the other one. Keith Richards, The Walking Dead. That's what they look like. Right? Someone, someone forgot to tell him he died like 10 years ago. Right? You get a bunch of animated corpses walking around, exhausted. Why? Because they're chasing after the wind. It's so easy. Nope, I got it. Every so often, God comes in with the gospel through a vessel like you or I. Nope, I got it. Got to have a part in this thing. That's not the problem. I'm not depraved. I believe that we were all born good. We're just trying to find our way in this world. Talk about the source of anxiety. Do you see how the, the gospel immediately unravels with that system of thinking? If you think you're inherently good, you don't need a savior. When the true gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to the deceived, it is very often discarded as foolishness. Oh, you're one of those born and saved people. Yeah. While the gospel is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Unsaved, professing Christians are the ones who reject what Jesus said about himself and his gospel. That's right, I said unsaved, professing Christians. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. They actually exist. Unsaved, professing Christians. Are you Christian? Absolutely. Why do you say that? So mom and dad don't bother me anymore. That's why I say it. So mom and dad can go sleep at night. Or Uncle Jimmy or whoever else loves you to pieces. That's why, I say I'm, that's why I say I'm saved. That's why I say I believe in Jesus Christ. So they'll leave me alone. God's like, that's ridiculousness. You know what? Up here on the board, 1 John 2.23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. The Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ, right? Christ's mind, Spirit's mind. Who inspired the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. This is the mind of Christ. So if you reject this, you're rejecting Christ. And you're blaspheming the Spirit when it comes to salvation. If you reject this or any part of it, you are rejecting Christ. If you reject the salvation proper, the gospel proper, you are blaspheming his spirit. You're calling the Holy Spirit a liar when he convicts you. And as we've learned, that has to happen on a continual basis. An unbeliever has to continually, until God hardens their heart, which is between them and the Lord. Hey, listen, you know you're off on this thing. You know you're off. You know, you're off. Get away from me. I'm trying to deliver myself. Is that not what you see? That's what I see. In light of Holy Scripture, 
But as we learned in the beginning, guess what? The light came in the world, and man, what? Hated the light. Why? Because his deeds would be exposed. You turn the lights on, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you nasty religious zealot. You nasty. Seriously, that's what the Word of God says. You turn the lights on, you are nasty. That gospel you're clinging to is decrepit, gross, grotesque, counterfeit. Narrow gate. Few who find it strive to enter. Narrow gate, not broad gate. Narrow gate. This whole ecumenical church, which is partially led by Roman Catholicism, says it's a really wide gate. And like, Muslims have the same God. That doesn't even, that doesn't even register. It doesn't even register. How could they possibly have the same God? The Quran and the Bible don't mix. It's literally impossible. But this is what's being put out there. There's a document, I think it's called the ECT document. Look it up. There's a whole document being drafted by these evil religions saying, yeah, oh yeah, just, it's all the same God. Can't we just all get along? It's all good. Jesus Christ is offensive. This is 2017. Come on, people. Jesus Christ is offensive. His gospel, old news. Don't offend anybody. We're in the age of not ever offending anybody. We're in the age of PC, right? Where you can't even pick your nose in private without someone taking you to court. I saw that obscenity taking you to court. Really? Really? What's not obscene anymore? Ungodliness. Godliness is now obscenity. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. How in the world does an ECT, ecumenical church, even exist unless, in, unless without actually saying it, because you don't want to offend anybody, the real Christians either, Jesus Christ is a liar. That's exactly what they're saying. Jesus Christ lied. The Jesus Christ of the Bible is a liar. That's what they're saying. How's that sit with your soul? If it doesn't bother you, you probably have a bigger problem. If it bothers you, then you're in the same camp I am. You're praying for people. This isn't about demonizing people. I feel horrible for people that are going to rot in hell where their conscience never dies. This isn't a 100-year prison sentence we're talking about. Do you understand? It's not like they get out after 100 years or it's a life sentence. This is eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever. You can't even put a stop on this. Imagine where the stars end. You can't, right? That's eternal life in hell. These people, once they're there, it's appointed the man to die once and then he's judged. There's no getting out. There's no stupid purgatory. It's, not, it's all lies. So what are you waiting for? Do you have Roman Catholic family? Get on it. Tell them to their face. You're lost. Stop being a wimp. Stop serving yourself. Stop making excuses. Do you love these people or not? Do you care about them? Then do the right thing. Pray for them. Evangelize them. Whatever it takes. You don't want your worst enemy 
in that place. There is no getting out. That, to me, is horrific. Like my stomach sinks thinking about hell. And how many people are going to end up there? And the only saving grace, and I'll end, the only mercy for me, for you, is knowing that they chose it. At the end of the day, God would be unjust if he didn't evangelize everyone, which means that every single person in hell chose to be there, chose to be separate from God, because God the Holy Spirit evangelizes everybody at some point. That's my saving grace, and it should be yours too. To say, you know what, this is really bad. I can think of some more colorful words to describe it, but it's really bad, and I don't want my worst enemy to go there. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If, if they say no, they say no. But you all are saved, I hope. And you all get to enjoy this. You get your bellies full with the word of life, the bread of life, the thing that sustains us, the thing that ah, is so attractive to us, the thing that just lightens our day, all the way down to brightening your mood, delivers you from all the little things, not just the big things, all the little things. You have that. What a contrast. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to study the truth that sets us free. Thank you for never allowing us an escape from the truth in our own lives and the lives of others. Thank you for always keeping it real and making sure that we understand the estate of fallen man, that we understand the estate of our own flesh even, and that in the light of truth, only by your power can any of us be delivered from such things. Father, we're so very grateful for being given the gospel and the opportunity to spread it to a world that's lost and dying. We ask for traveling mercies as we take these things out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.